0: Hi. But there's something you can do about it. And we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to Slate.com slash Amicus Live for tickets.
1: Slate's Joel Anderson feels like it's so common to hear about black people being killed by the police that he's not actually sure when he first heard the name Tyree Nichols. Tyree was beaten by the cops in Memphis, Tennessee on January 7th. He died three days later. The five officers who attacked him, they got fired and then indicted last week.
2: Them firing those officers was sort of the incident that made me look and say, huh.
1: Because it was remarkable.
2: Yeah, yeah, that didn't usually happen like that. Like sometimes it does, but often it doesn't. And um, that, that was sort of remarkable.
1: Joel has covered a lot of deaths by police. There was Michael Brown in Ferguson, Freddie Gray in Baltimore. Joel hosted a whole season of the Slow Burn podcast about Rodney King and the riots that followed his assault back in 1991. Which is why I wanted to talk to Joel
0: now. Thank you so much, Pastor Thomas and Bishop Thomas, Bishop Williamson, for allowing us to be in your cathedral uh, at this moment here in
2: Memphis.
1: About a week ago, Tyree's family got their first glimpse of the video of the brutality that led to his death. And afterwards, they had this press conference with their lawyer, Ben Crump, to describe what they'd seen.
0: And what we saw... No, regrettably, it reminded us of Rodney King video. Regrettably.
2: And unlike Rodney King,
0: Tyree didn't survive.
1: As Crump said this, you could hear a little murmur spread through the crowd. And then Tyree's mother sagged her head as if she was unable to hold back a sob.
2: Well, I mean, Ben Crump has basically defended or represented the families of almost every notable Black death at the hands of police. Any name that sort of, that you know, or the Save Their Name campaign, Ben Crump has probably been there. And for him to look at that video and to say, ah, this reminds me of Rodney King, it's hard to not take it seriously because he's seen it all. So for that guy who's seen it all to say, this looks like the most notorious incident of police brutality in American history, I mean, that has to mean something. I
1: have a kind of tough question that's been on my mind, and I, I wonder what you make of it, which is I sort of wonder if what had happened to Rodney King... Had happened to Tyree Nichols, that is, if Tyree had survived, but had still been beaten within an inch of his life. I wonder if you think we would know about it.
2: Oh, man.
1: Because all the tape comes from the cops
2: themselves. I mean, he would have been able to tell the tale, right? He would have been able to say, hey, the officers did this to me, but I just, it probably would have been much harder to get people to care. And four or five days before tyree nichols there was a guy who claimed he'd been beaten up in roughly the same way and that he tried to get the attention of the authorities and that they didn't take him seriously i mean there's no way of knowing but um i and and certainly looking at what we saw the video that we did it's reasonable to assume that that was not their first time attacking a citizen in quite that way before I'm, it, it looked like they had some experience um with that before
1: Today on the show, the story of Tyree Nichols, and what it shows about how far we've come since Rodney King. Maybe not very far at all. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Discover. I'm wondering if you can just introduce me to Tyree. Like, who was he? Like, I've seen all these very charming skateboarding videos of him. But what do we what do we know about him?
2: Yeah, I mean, that's really the lovely thing. All over social media, people are sharing that, that short video of him skateboarding, um, something that he clearly had a knack for. You know, Tyree was a 29-year-old black man who worked the second shift at the local FedEx facility. And someone who was clearly close to his mother, you know— his family said that every evening about seven o'clock, he'd go to his mom's house for his lunch break. Uh, he even tattooed his mother's name on his arm. And his mother took a lot of pride in that because, you know, not not a lot of sons, not a lot of guys are getting their mom's name tattooed sure. on them, um, which is just sort of shows you how close they were. And he was a parent himself. He was a father to a four-year-old son. So, you know, he just seemed to be sort of an everyman, uh, a blue collar worker in Memphis who raising his child and was close to his family and apparently stopped at the same Starbucks for coffee every morning. Just a regular guy.
1: We don't seem to know a lot about the traffic stop that led to his death. And the video doesn't seem to tell very much about that either. It just starts right away with police sort of charging at the car. But what what do we know?
2: So, yeah, it all starts uh, that night in January when the officers claimed they were pursuing his vehicle for Suspected reckless driving, and you know, at, as at this point, we have no way to sustain whether or not that's true. But yeah, a lot of people who've seen that body cam and surveillance videos, they they show that first initial stop when the officers confront Tyree, they drag him out of the car and start yelling these conflicting and contradictory orders at him. You know, show us your hands, and they're holding his hands. Or Get on the ground. He's already on the ground,
1: and he says um, that too. He's like, "I'm on yeah. the
2: ground." He said, "I'm on the ground. I'm on the ground. I didn't do anything." and there's nothing that, I mean, I defy anyone to explain to me how he could have done anything to de-escalate it. They pulled him out of his car. He's he's trying to comply, but they won't allow him to comply with some of their commands. You know, it's funny. A few years ago, I talked with uh, the Houston police chief at the time, Ar- Arcevedo. He ended up going to Miami and, and didn't last in that position long. And, you know, he was talking about how he had a teenage son And I said, well, what would you do? Um, You know, Hmm. you're a Latino. If your son gets pulled over by the police, what do you tell them? He says, well, I would just say, you know, make sure you don't make any sudden movements and, you know, be respectful and, you know, be cautious. And I'm like, that's the sort of thing you say if you encounter a mountain lion in the wild, you know? And that's not really helpful. I mean, it really all depends on how good a mood And does that cop respect you enough to treat you like you're somebody that pays his tax dollars? And I mean, you look at that stop and obviously those police officers, they didn't think of themselves as public servants. You know, they thought of themselves as public warriors. And that's just, there's nothing that Tyree Nichols could have done to prevent them from treating him in the way that they did that night.
1: And these officers were part of this scorpion unit that... Memphis Police Chief C.J. Davis had set up where part of the whole idea was to stop a lot of reckless driving to improve quality of life and bring down crime too, I guess.
2: Right. Yeah. Chief Davis had mentioned something, I think, within the last year about how when she moved to Memphis, she'd never seen crazy reckless driving like she had there. And so this was a part of that. And also, you know, the Scorpion, the quote Scorpion unit was meant to get guns off the street. And if this all happens in the wake of, you know, w- was sort of a natural and understandable rise in crime in the last few years, because we'd had decades of crime lows. And so at some point, it seemed reasonable to expect that crime was going to tick back up. And when it did, you know, things like the Scorpion unit came back online, or there's all these other sort of SWAT-like police units that police departments all around the country started starting up again in hopes of combating crime.
1: Tyree Nichols encountered the police a couple of times. And part of what this video shows is that people didn't treat him, the paramedics who eventually arrived. They they didn't seem to intervene with him. And eventually he was taken to the hospital and he died three days later. Something that stands out to me about this case is how quickly local authorities publicly admitted something had gone wrong. Because if I look back at Minneapolis when George Floyd was murdered, the initial reaction from the police was, man dies after medical incident during police interaction. With Tyree, when he passed, the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation announced he died due to injuries sustained in a use-of-force incident. And to me, that was the beginning of something seeming slightly different about this case. Was, do you think that's, that's where it starts for you as well? Or was it a few days later?
2: That's a good question. I mean, it definitely the local government response to admit that Tyree had been injured in this incident and to fire them. Like, obviously, it lets you know, whoa, something horrible has gone on here. And they don't, really see any way around it and yeah i mean i guess i I maybe i'm sometimes i'm just sort of cynical about this thing because you know there's it's this is not the first time that a local police department has when some of their police officers have been involved in a brutality or abuse that they've sort of thrown that cop uh in front of the bus and said hey look you know this is really bad we're going to charge this guy So it's not uncommon, especially with black officers, for them to not necessarily get the sort of defense that white officers get in these incidents. But everybody in local government lined up so quickly to not only fire and then arrest and charge these officers. It was a clue that something really, really horrible had happened. And we just had to sort of wait to see exactly what that was going to be.
1: And then it seemed like everyone was tensing and waiting for Friday night because the police had done this thing that struck me as a little bit strange, which they said, we're going to release the video after six p.m. Central Time on Friday. And so it was kind of all everyone could talk about. Like they created this anticipation. And I really didn't know what to make of it at the time. Like, is this a strategy to get out front? Is that the right strategy? Like how will people react because essentially the chief of police was saying you have a right to be angry about this video she went on cnn the morning before they released it and said you know you're going to see a lack of humanity
0: you're going to see a disregard for life um duty of care um, that we're all sworn to and um A level of physical uh, interaction that is above and beyond what is required in law enforcement.
1: Which was such a strange thing. I I just never seen it happen in that order. The pre-release. Yeah. The police saying this is bad and then the release.
2: For sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, you can be very cynical here and say that they're throwing themselves at the mercy of the public square, right? That they wanted to head off any potential protests to at least keep the temperature down in the city. Maybe that move is successful, maybe it wasn't. There's still a long way to go, but yeah, absolutely. I think they wanted to give themselves some time to get into position and come up with an emergency plan to deal with the fallout. And I mean, I would like to think that they thought this is so horrible that people are rightly going to be outraged and we want to give them some chance to prepare to deal with it and, you know, also for people in town to not, you know, just cut on their TV and accidentally see that, to give them a moment to prepare. But I also think that it was a way to protect themselves uh, and to give themselves a chance to get into order, so to speak.
1: What police are trying to protect themselves from anytime an incident like this happens is a replay of what took place in Los Angeles 30 years back. That's when Rodney King was beaten by four LAPD officers, while unbeknownst to them, a neighbor recorded the whole thing using his brand-new video camera. Rodney King was trying to flee a traffic stop, just like Tyree, and the tape was immediately shocking. Dramatic videotape obtained by Channel 5 News shows what appears to be a group of LAPD officers beating a suspect. As soon as it hit the airwaves, it created a firestorm. A year later, when a jury acquitted the officers of any wrongdoing in the King case, Los Angeles erupted. Joel says part of what makes Tyree Nichols' story different is that this time, the damning footage was captured by the police themselves. There were cameras mounted on the street, body cams too. But all these years later, even though technology like officer-worn cameras are changing what we can see, they aren't necessarily changing how police behave.
2: Body cams can be useful, but they're not as useful because it also depends on the officer. I mean, they'd had an incident in Memphis before where a police officer had killed a young black man. He he turned off his camera. Right. So we're sort of <laughs> if, if they have the presence of mind to cut off their camera or, or shed that camera, then we're not going to see everything. And yeah, I mean, in the last 30 years, yeah, the, the ubiquity of the camera I mean, we all have a camera now. And back in 1991, when the Roddy King incident happened, that that was the reason it it, it exploded. I mean, also because we had never seen brutality like that captured on camera in quite that way before. But also, you know, nobody had seen a video like that. It was just very unusual for somebody to have something like that.
1: We've talked about how the reaction from people in power was notable this time. And it was also different from how people in power responded with Rodney King. Like, when I went back and looked, it seemed to me like after the Rodney King video was released, it created a lot of tension in Los Angeles leadership between the police chief, the mayor, as opposed to what we've seen here, which is people kind of moving more in lockstep. Like, we saw on Saturday over the weekend this Scorpion unit, which the police chief had created. They disbanded. They said, yep, not doing that anymore. But you've raised this kind of cynical thing about this. And I want to get into that because one thing that happened with Rodney King is that the tension caused there to be the Christopher Commission, like an investigation of like what's wrong with the police force. And I wonder a little bit if getting out in front of things like this means that there's not going to be a kind of Christopher commission in Memphis. Someone coming in and saying like, okay, let's get all the dirty laundry out there. Does that worry you a little bit? Um,
2: you know, I think what I always sort of worry about in these instances is that there's this initial outrage and shock. And then the officers get charged and then people sort of get a chance to retreat into their corners. And then the police get more defensive because You know, the public is rightly outraged at them and is asking them to investigate themselves, to reform themselves, to show more public contrition. And they eventually get really upset and then they sort of close their ranks. And that's actually what happened in the Rodney King case initially, which is it's amazing because L.A.'s mayor at the time, Tom Bradley and LAPD's police chief, Daryl Gates, they did not get along. I mean, they hated Hmm. each other. They'd been longtime political rivals. And in the immediate aftermath of the release of the tape, they were roughly on the same page. They were like, this is horrible. Like, This does not represent LAPD, which, okay, sure. But they were all sort of on the same page. And then as the idea for the commission came up and as the case sort of wound its way through the legal system, then people had a chance to sort of go back to their original entrenched positions And so that's sort of the thing that I'll be looking for here. Like Memphis leadership all seems to be on the same page. You know, the police chief, the mayor, the local prosecutor, they're all there together now. But will they be there in a year, year and a half when this case goes to trial or if the case goes to trial? And will all these same people still be in place then? And will they all feel the same way that they do about what happened
1: When we come back, how much does it matter that the five officers charged in this case were all Black themselves? Something I want to make sure we talk about, about the death of Tyree Nichols, is that the police officers involved, they're all Black Memphis also has a black police chief. I just wonder what you make of that and whether whether in some ways it shows like a fundamental misunderstanding that may exist about who's trustworthy on the police force, whether police are trustworthy at all.
2: Sure, sure. Well, so. I mean, I'd I'd note that most of the major cities in this country at this point have had black police chiefs. Like if you pretty much go through the list of every major metropolitan city in America, they've had black police chiefs, New York, LA, Chicago, Houston, Philly, Phoenix, uh, (laughs) Dallas, so so on and so forth. They've all had black police chiefs. The idea that the officers look different because they're all five black officers This is not really that new you know seven years or so ago i covered the death of freddie gray in baltimore and i was there for the initial public response to that death and then i covered the trial of the officers and at that time baltimore had a black mayor and a majority black police force and had had several black police chiefs over the years and um i spoke with you know community leaders activists and former black police officers in baltimore and truthfully they never had the trust or support of the people in the communities they patrolled. Like maybe a few individual officers did share, but on the whole it's not like people were sitting around making a lot of distinctions between black officers and police chiefs and the white ones. And I- I've seen other people say this, so I can't credit it to anyone specifically, but they said basically the race of a cop is cop. Um, hmm. And I, again, over the weekend there's been a million retweets of James Baldwin about Black police that have been meaningful and salient, but the one that really struck me was that he once said in Notes of a Native Son, Negro policemen are feared more than whites, for they have more to prove and fewer ways to prove it. So anybody that has ever had a run-in with a Black cop, you know that you are not necessarily going to get treated any better by virtue of the fact that they're Black. And in fact, it may go even worse.
1: Which is interesting because I feel like so often the diversity of a police force is brought up as, like, a really important goal of how to make policing better. And I think what you see here is, like, it's just not an endpoint in and of itself. <laughs> it does; It's not meaningful without other things happening at the same time.
2: It's tough because you, if we're going to have police and we're going to devote all this money to police, like, any local government's largest expenditure is the money that it devotes to public safety vis-a-vis you know the police department or the county sheriff's department if we're going to spend all that money and they're just going to be a fact of life then they probably should be diverse like we don't want to turn it all over to (laughs) (laughs) to people that you know have not been around black people may have animus towards black people but I think we've seen at every police department in this country that even any well-meaning attempt to diversify does not necessarily produce different outcomes and i always just say you know i you know there was a time in my life when i every time a black person got killed by police i had to go go somewhere you know i always was flying around the country for about three or four years and i just said you know you can go to any corner of this country from seattle to key west to maine To san diego and black people regardless of who is in charge who's makes up the majority of the force they have a legitimate gripe about the way they're being treated by the law enforcement community there so unfortunately that's just something if you're hoping for police reform diversity fine sure but that's it can't end there and you're gonna have to go much further
1: I want to go back to the comparison between Tyree Nichols and Rodney King just for a moment to just underline something that you brought up earlier, which is that I feel like over this weekend there was a sigh of relief because there had been so much buildup for this release of the video and people saying, please be peaceful when you protest. And then the protests were largely peaceful. And I think A lot of people, myself included, sort of felt like, okay, like, great. Like, uh, things seem to be happening, moving in the right direction. But when you look back at Rodney King, the L.A. riots, they didn't happen right after the video came out. They happened when those officers were acquitted. And it just reminded me, like, this is such a long path we're on. And I just wonder if that's, like, sort of on your mind as well.
2: Yeah, I mean, we have a long way to go. And I would like to remind people, you know, from the, the circumstance with the LAPD officers, I mean, so they get acquitted and there's the riots. And this is all happening in the backdrop of a mayoral reelection between the hand-chosen successor to the Democratic incumbent and another guy who ran, who was, you know, sort of a Republican, and he ran on a plank of tough on crime. So, Hmm. you know, not even (laughs) not even not uh, barely a full year after you're looking at that incident with Rodney King and that guy, a fundamental city outsider. He was not a person who had held a position in government before, but he says it's time to clean up the crime in this town. And he gets elected. And I also go back to like what has happened since the George Floyd incident. You know, there was a few. You know, months people took it very seriously in criminal justice reform, and it looked like we were going to get things done. And it's just hard to argue that there hasn't been a negative reaction against that to the idea of defund police or, you know, even a modicum of police reform. So, yeah, I mean, again, we seem to be in a good place today, but we have an awful long way to go.
1: Joel, I'm really grateful for your time. Thanks for thanks for doing this.
2: Of course, thanks for having me.
1: Joel Anderson is a staff writer at Slate. He also hosted seasons three and six of Slow Burn. After our conversation ended, a sixth Memphis police officer got suspended from duty. The Memphis Fire Department has also suspended two paramedics who'd been at the scene. Tyree Nichols' family has asked that those EMTs be criminally charged. And that's the show. What Next is produced by Elena Schwartz, Carmel Delshad, and Madeline Ducharme. We are getting a ton of support these days from Anna Phillips, Jared Downing, and Laura Spencer. We're led by Alicia Montgomery, with a little assist from Susan Matthews. Ben Richmond is the Senior Director of Podcast Operations here at Slate. And I'm Mary Harris. Go track me down on Twitter. Say hello. I'm at Mary's desk. All right. I'll talk to you tomorrow.